Welcome to podcasts recorded live at the Center for Spiritual Living in Portland, Oregon. Listen past the end of the podcast to find out more about our spiritual center and ways that you may collaborate with us. Welcome, everyone. Glad you're here. Those of you who were here last week know that this whole month we're talking about the idea of inclusion, the ideas of diversity, the ideas of really extending a hand to people who maybe have felt disenfranchised in the past to seek out new expressions of God, to seek out new ways of being, new ideas. Truly, the idea of inclusion. We're using the book called Graceism. It's by David Anderson, uh, Reverend Dr. David Anderson, uh, has one of the largest multicultural churches in America right now. Uh, Great book. I recommend it. Last week we talked perhaps slightly uncomfortably about the idea of white privilege around the idea of what racism is, how that can be under the radar for most people unless of course you happen to be on the receiving end of it. And so we really talked about what we can do about that, what we as a society can do to favor the idea of Graceism, which was defined as our ability really to extend that hand of inclusion specifically to people who may have been marginalized in the past, people to whom uh, the world has seemed not inclusive and, and in fact confrontive. And so that's where we ended up. Uh, you'll remember your homework was the red dot experiment. And so for those of you who weren't here last week, let me explain red dot really simply, that is the idea that we all have probably been discriminated against at some point in our life for no good reason. It might have been based on how we were dressed, might have been based on our age, the fact that we're a woman or a man, it might have been because of the color of our skin or some of the reasons that are more easy to see racism out in the world. But our thesis was that all of us have experienced some kind of discrimination. And I gave you a really stinky homework assignment, I, 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 I have to admit, and that was to sit with that for the week. Two, as you go about the week, really sit with that idea of what it feels like to be the one who has been discriminated against. And I did that on purpose, and I know it was uncomfortable for some of you, but I think that in order for us to truly feel of extending the hand of inclusivity, we have to have also felt what it's like to have been excluded, that how important it is, how vital it is for us to extend that hand because it hasn't been there for everyone. And the best way to have that sense of how important it is is when you too can take some ownership of what it actually feels like to be discriminated against or treated poorly based on just some bizarre set of criteria that do not really define you even though they are a part of you. So so hopefully that homework had its effect and no one hates me overly. Although the other thing we talked about last week is the availability for ourselves to feel a bit of discomfort, to be okay. Because, of course, you know, the neutral position was, well, we just won't talk about this at all because it's uncomfortable, right? 
hasn't that been the position for many people for many years? Racism is uncomfortable. The idea of, uh, of people being targeted based on their religion or, or, or you name it is uncomfortable. And so we'll just assume that it will get taken care of magically through the legal system or through affirmative action. And, you know, and we have seen, of course, that in many ways things have not improved. So that is why we're going to have a willingness to talk about it. So this week we're going to talk about inclusion and how we can begin extending that hand. And the author of Gracism says the place to start is talking about why we do it. Why do we want to be inclusive? And interestingly enough, he talks about the practical nature of it first. It's simply practical to be inclusive. So fast forward to the America that will be here in less than 20 years and you will discover that it isn't white anymore. That the dominant race will no longer be white culture in just 20 years. If, if birth rates and things like that uh, keep moving on the way they're moving on, uh, white Americans will be less than half of the population. So how can it be and why should it be that a culture that doesn't even represent half of America will have everything its way? Do you see what I mean? It's like in, pra- in terms of practical natures, why wouldn't we want to and need to celebrate the diversity of America, not focus in on people looking a certain way, right? And, and in fact, if you look at corporations these days, right, the whole idea of hiring even in corporations isn't based on meeting affirmative action quotas and things like that anymore. It's that it needs to represent the world to which we're selling things to and and providing services to and so on and so forth. And when you do it from that traditionally white perspective, you're missing out on about half of the world. And so from a practical standpoint, the more voices, the better, the more points of view, the better. From a practical perspective, having employees or people in leadership that can represent more than the status quo or more than what is obviously visible, these are benefits That is what moves companies and uh, that's what moves religious organizations. That's what, what moves neighborhoods up in the world and out in the world is inclusivity. It makes good sense. It actually helps us. I mean, if you think of some of the monocultural, uh, what do I want to say? companies or or organizations out there, most of them are on the decline for no other reason than the actual people that they're there to represent are on the decline. So the more you mix things up, the more you include, the more you're able to uh, really embrace different cultures, different races, different religions, different socioeconomic positions, the more you can embrace all that, the wider your audience is, your ability to be functional and uh, beautiful in the world simply increases. Okay, so that's the idea of it makes sense, it's practical. Now, of course, uh, 
David Anderson is a minister. And so the second place he goes is to scripture. And at first I was thinking, oh gosh, is my congregation really going to enjoy me reading from the New Testament? And after having read through it, I came up with the weirdest answer. I think you will. And so, uh, so I'm going to give this a go. And you know what's interesting too from a minister? I got to tell you, this is from 1 Corinthians. And I have read the, uh, the verse after this verse in more weddings than I can tell you. So 1 Corinthians, right? The big discourse on love that is in so many, many, many weddings. Most people though, probably it's been a long time since you've read the verse before it on unity and diversity. Right there in 1 Corinthians. So here we go. Just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, So it is with Christ. And remember, the translation of Christ is what? The anointed one, right? The the enlightened one. So they're really talking about that notion of of anyone on the spiritual path. So for we, uh, excuse me, so, so, but all its many parts from one body, so it is with Christ. For we are all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, whether slave or free, And we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't really belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, so I don't belong to the body, it would not be for that reason to stop being part. And if the whole body were an eye, would there be the sense of hearing? And if the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God placed the parts of the body, every one of them, just as was intended. If they were all one part, where would the whole be? And as it is, there are many parts, yet one body. So the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I do not need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body, even those that seem to be weaker, are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we must treat with special honor. And the parts that perhaps are unpresentable need special modesty. And while our presentable parts need no special treatment, but God has put the body together, it's in entirety, giving greater honor so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern each for the other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. And if one part is honored, every part rejoices in the whole. Oh my gosh, has it been a while since you've heard that one? Is not that fundamental and beautiful? And ultimately, that's why we extend our hand. That's why we're inclusive. It isn't a concession to life. It's what life is made out of. Every part not tolerated, but celebrated and necessary. It's not a question of of somehow putting something together. It's It's a question of how could we ever imagine that some part could or should or must be separate. 
It's the very nature of unity that we talk about here so often requires us, really requires us to extend a hand of love and friendship to all. And in particular, uh, with our idea of gracism from last week, perhaps particularly to those people who have been disenfranchised before, those people that systematically maybe have been left out or oppressed or or in some way uh, invited to think that they were second-class citizens. So this is the time to really step up to honor and to celebrate. Now, how do we go about that? Well, there are a few ways, and I want to use our own spiritual center a little bit as, uh, as where we might start, but I also want to invite you to begin thinking of your own personal life. So, so think of this as kind of a multi-level thing that we need to do in terms of inclusive, inclusivity. So first of all, how does inclusion work? First of all, you need to make sure that we include all voices. And so here at the center, we've done a variety of things. And, and in fact, it was uh, lovely just hearing our music today and, uh, and the knowledge uh, um, this Saturday, they also had choir practice and, and just hearing the, the many voices. Have you noticed that in the choir here, it's not the same soloist every time. How many people here, when you were a kid, went to the church when you had the one uh, soprano kind of warbly singer that sang every... Is is it just me? You know, that's that idea of monoculture where it's, you know, you find someone who's really good at something and, and that's all they get. That's the voice you get to hear. We're not about that. For, for our size of a church, one could argue we shouldn't have a choir at all. We don't have enough expertise or, 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 or uh, enough people to make one up. And of course, that would just be BS. We love the variety of voices, and, and LaRonda is amazing at picking out a variety of soloists and a variety of styles of music because every voice is important. In our, in our bookstore, have you noticed the variety of different kinds of authors and different kinds of products and different kind of, uh, of views that are in there? We worked really hard this year that our books of the month will cover a variety of, uh, of different diversity in terms of the the authors presenting it, it's because those different voices, those different ways of looking at things add to what we're doing here. So now I'm going to throw it out to you. What are you doing in your lives to get more points of view and more variety? You know, sadly, most of us probably are used to a pretty homogeneous lifestyle. Our friends look like us, our friends sound like us, our friends have the same political opinions that we do, our, our friends, it's true, and, and, and I'm not saying that we should ditch our old friends and move on, but what I am saying is, it's probably time to start inviting more variety into our own lives. So uh, my partner Daniel and I uh, have a favorite Thai restaurant that we go to. And uh, I think it was about in October, I'm looking down at my uh, pad thai with peanut sauce and he's looking down at his Ramayama garden. And the, it came up that, you know, that's the same thing that we've ordered for like 
years. <laughs> and we challenged each other. They have a whole menu here. And so one by one, because this is one of our favorite places, and, and we go probably a couple times a month, one by one, we've been working down the whole, uh, the whole menu, and I got to tell you, there were some things on there we had never eaten that are now our favorites. What can you do in your lives to begin inviting in more variety? Not just the same old uh, restaurant options, not just the same old people that you hang out with, not just that one kind of movie that you like to go to, not just the one point of view that you talk about in terms of uh, whether it's politics or, or whether it's other things. How can we invite it all in, recognizing that it's important, recognizing that if we want to grow spiritually and as people, more than one set of values and points of view are actually essential. You know, when, uh, so, someone not too long ago pointed out that it was a, a shame that we didn't take, get more attraction or more, more forward movement during the civil rights era, you know, that it's a era, that it's a shame that we're still having to deal with points of, uh, of race and points of exclusion out in the world. And I was thinking about it, and I don't think as a culture we were really ready. If you remember in the 60s, we were talking about tolerating each other. <laughs> right? It was, the banner said tolerance on them. I'm way beyond that now. Now the banner for me at least would be celebrate, not tolerate. I want to include people in because it will enrich my life, not, not somehow to tolerate differences, but to celebrate them, to have them included in and in what I stand for and what I am. And I think things are kind of a mess in some ways right now because we're going to that next level. We're beyond tolerating. We're, we're beyond making room at the table and, and we're going to serve different food now, <laughs> right? It isn't just making a space. It's celebrating something new and wonderful. It's about actually cultivating differences, not just allowing them to be. So this time around, I think fundamentally different. I mean, we did a good job of making the laws, well, some of them, what they need to be in the 60s in terms of, uh, of inclusion and making sure that, that people are not legally having the right to deny housing and other things based on racial characteristics and some, some of that things. Although the, even there, there's some work to do, I think. But this revolution is a revolution of the heart now. This time, it's about seeing the importance, the necessity of us being together in a beautiful and powerful way. Not tolerance at all, but celebration. The other thing that I would suggest that we have tried to do our best around here, and you know, it gets back to that idea of safety as part of inclusion. I would really like to think that anyone who walked through our door would feel that this would be a safe place to be. You know, that's my, that's my heart's desire. No matter how different they might be, how uh, different opinions they might have, that anyone truly would be safe to be here and speak their mind. Now, we might not uh, have them up here to speak their mind. 
Do you know what I mean? I mean, we do stand for a set of principles that are somewhat unique to us, but we absolutely are open to anyone who wishes to join us in that. And there is a level of safety and acceptance of people just as they are when they come in the door. Are you that for other people in your life? Is your home a sacred space? When the the person knocks on the door and is asking uh, maybe for a contribution or to read their pamphlet, um, are you a gracious and safe place to be? So, So take that one into your heart as well. Have you created a safe space that if anyone came into your venue, whether it be at work, whether it be at home, whether it be in some other social or organizational structure that you have, do you have not only the opening for someone to come in, but would they feel cherished? Would they feel safe? Would they feel it's appropriate to be there even if there are some differences? Even if it might have to be presented as, well, it's okay for us to be different on this particular issue. Nonetheless, you're welcomed here and you're safe here. Finally, the thing that um, sometimes we're good at, sometimes we're not so good at here at at the center, and that's actually having people in leadership that represent a good segment of the population. You know, we try our best. I got to tell you, uh, we're coming up to to bring in um, some new core council members in a couple months, and uh, I know one of the things we struggle with is, well, do we have at least a guy or two represented on the core council? Do we have someone that represents other points of view in terms of maybe the faith they were growing up in or their ethnicity or, or other factors. You know, can we do what's necessary so that when people actually walk in the door, they can say, yeah, there's some people like me and not just meaning white people like them, right? Because <laughs> part of feeling that you belong is recognizing that there is a, a variety around and it's okay, it's visible, which brings me to my last point of the day. And this might be a difficult one. We also need as individuals, not just as a loving congregation, but as individuals be willing to speak our truth around diversity and inclusion. And this one, you know, can feel a little risky. What if I use the wrong words? What if I say something that will offend someone? What if in my fumbling nature I I call people uh, Hispanic instead of Latino or, right? Because we will make mistakes. We, we are that person that has to try on new ways of being. And as we expand into a greater awareness of what is good and what is beautiful and what is different, we will make mistakes at it. I, I will make mistakes at it. And this has to be the level of safety here that we're okay with that and that we will persist at it. Because it would be oh so easy, wouldn't it, just to say, we're not going to talk about this because I may not be perfect at it from the get-go. I may fumble. I may offend someone. Let this be the place where it's okay to risk hopefully minor personal offense because there's a willingness to work through it. So not too long ago... um, Someone came up to me, not here, but but knew that I was a minister and knew that I was gay and started uh, 
poking a little bit about the whole gay issue. And I got to tell you, it's been a while since people used those words pointed at me. Uh, And things were shared like, do you really think it's appropriate that a gay person represent Christianity and and some things like that? And and I got to tell you, there was that part of me that was like the 20-year-old radical person that just wanted to be kind of combative and in their face. And then I stopped for a moment and I said, well, maybe this is a teachable moment. Maybe even though I don't represent gay people everywhere, and even though I'm kind of tired of this whole dialogue of what it is to be different in that one way, maybe, maybe this is a teachable moment. And so I stepped you know, back off my hobby horse a little bit. I got down off of the soapbox and, and answered the gentleman's questions as best I could. Some of them seemed ridiculous to me, right? Some of them seemed like, well, don't you have a brain in your head? I mean, you know, it's like, and, and, well, and at one point it's like, really? You really want to talk about bedrooms? You know, it's like, hello, how would you like it if I talked about you and what you do in your bedroom? But you know, sometimes it takes the level of being honest and open with people so that they can begin to grow in their own way. And so that's the other thing that may be difficult for us, especially people in this room who may be people of color or who have very different backgrounds, people who, uh, oh gosh, there's so much up for healing right now. People who maybe are not American citizens, people of, of, of all different kinds that right now might be feeling that they have a very big red dot on their forehead. I'm asking you please to be willing to discuss those issues because that's how we grow. By talking about and with people with differences, that's how we grow. So are we having fun? Is this going to be a, a fun week? I do, I do actually have a joke for you. I know, I know a couple of you are waiting for it. So in Sunday school, Tommy and the other children were learning about some of the biblical monarchs. They learned about King Solomon, known for his wisdom, wealth, and good judgment. They learned about King David and, uh, and his defeat of Goliath as a young man. They also learned about Queen Esther and her efforts to protect the Jewish people. Well, at the end of Sunday school, the teacher summarized the lesson. We've been learning about how powerful the kings and queens were in biblical times. But, but... Is there a higher power? Tommy, can you tell us what a higher power might be? Well, Tommy thought and thought, more powerful than the kings and the queens. Finally, he blurted out, I know, it's the aces. (laughs) Obviously, a poker playing family. (laughs) And so I want to ask you, what is more powerful than that which separates us? What is more powerful than the divisions, than the separations, than the differences? We are of the same body. That body of Christ referred to in scripture is is the body of our ability to be enlightened. If we are to be the anointed ones, 
there can be only a unity in our human experience. And so I ask you, contemplate that in your own world, in your own personal life, in your family, in your other social structures. I ask you this week, this is your homework, to see how specifically we can be more inclusive, how specifically we can begin addressing and thinking of ourselves completely as the anointed one where every part not is tolerated, every part is essential. I'm gonna close with a, a reading the end of chapter three in our Gracism book. I still remember how hard it was for me to shake off the feelings of being a sellout when I received a nasty letter, hate mail actually, one day when I arrived at my office desk. The letter was riddled with words of anger, poisonous verbiage, and accusation. The letter was evidently from an angry African-American man who thought that my preaching, teaching, and radio hostings about multiculturalism offered a dangerous, a potentially harmful message for and against the black church. He called me a menace to the black church. Well, after thinking, I had to disagree. I have never read a text of any scripture that outlines God's design for a one race church. I grew up in the black church. I'm part of the black church experience and I love the history and upbringing that it afforded me. My dad has been a pastor and church planter in the black church all his life. I respect the traditions of my family and the heritage it res uh, res uh, represents. But having said this, I don't believe that scriptures mandate a fierce protection of racial and denominational institutions. As much as I love the black church and at times even miss it, there will be no black church in heaven. There is only one church. Let us pray. There is one power, one presence, one life, just this one thing, and it includes all of us. I know that I am part of God's wisdom, of God's love, of God's joy, of God's acceptance. And as it is true for me, it is inescapable that it is true for each person on the planet, that each person here is part of that body of the whole, that, that body of spirit itself, and as such, indispensable. Even as I need all of my organs and parts, so humanity needs everyone. Everyone. And so for this day and beyond, I simply uphold the idea of doing my best to extend a hand in love, in freedom, in support, Perhaps even singling out those people to whom that support has been denied in the past. I take hold of this idea of gracism. I extend my hand, my heart, and my support in love. 
And as it is true for me, each person here has that ability to look inwardly and, and view their own lives. Where is each one of us being a friend to all? Where is each one of us uh, embracing, even celebrating the differences that exist in the world? Where, where are we inviting new people, new ways of thinking, new ways of being into our lives to discover that intrinsic diversity of life? Where are we making a way and a space and a, and a safe venue for the variety of life to be cherished. I give thanks for this place. I give thanks for this teaching. I give thanks for the diversity of of our congregation and life in general because that's what makes me strong. And so I release this prayer into the activity and action of the law itself. That law that works effortlessly for all. I let it be and together we say And so it is. Thank you for being here today. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. If you happen to be in the Portland, Oregon area, we'd love to have you visit in person. The Portland Center for Spiritual Living is located at 6211 Northeast Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard. We have inspirational services at 9 and 11 a.m. every Sunday. Our mission is to open hearts, ignite minds, and to make a difference. If you'd like to support our center and its podcasts, you can donate online at www.pcsl.us slash donate. Our website is also the place to learn more about what's going on at the center or to contact us. Allow us to become part of your extended community. Wherever you are on your spiritual journey, you are most welcome at the Center for Spiritual Living.